so good to see you guys. I think you guys made a great choice this morning to go to church. And so I just wanted to tell you thank you for being here. I know that you could have done anything you wanted to do today, but you chose to be here. And so thanks for being here today. My name, as Kurt said, is Matt King. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And and today we are going through and continuing on with the sermon series called The Signature of Jesus. And what we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Mark. Every single week we've been going through one of the chapters of the book of Mark. This week is Mark chapter 10, and so hopefully you've been reading ahead. But what we've been doing is going through this, and our number one goal has been to try to get people to understand who Jesus is and then fall in love with him if they're already not in love with him. And if you are, then to fall more in love with him. That's, that's been our number one goal. And so today we're in chapter 10. I'm going to actually invite you, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and open that up to Mark chapter 10. I'm going to be beginning in verse 17 today, so if you want to go ahead and flip ahead to that or get on your app and, and get to that spot and mark it, that's where we're going to be. Now, the title of today's sermon is called, Why Did Jesus Always Go to the Heart of the Issue? Today, that's what I want to do. I want to go right to the heart of an issue. And the issue really is, is this. And I'm going to ask everybody to ask themselves this question. I don't, it doesn't really matter to me whether or not you're a person who is a self-proclaimed Christ follower or not. Maybe you're a person who has openly admitted that you're not a Christ follower and that you're just searching. It doesn't matter. I want everybody to, to ask themselves this question today. Here it is. How serious am I about my relationship with God? Think about that for a second. How serious am I about my relationship with God? Am I serious? Well, <clears throat> for those of you who are not Christians, maybe the reason that you're here today is because you are serious, or maybe the reason why you're listening online is because you are serious. And if that's the case, awesome. I think that that's great. For those of you who are Christians, do the people who know you know that you are? Know that you are serious about that relationship. That's the heart of the issue that I really want everybody to be thinking about today as we, as we move through this message. Now, the guy that I'm going to be talking about today in Mark chapter 10, he kind of reminds me in some way of a modern-day Christian, and, and here's the reason why. I believe that this guy that we're going to talk about today, he understood like what modern-day Christians do, what it is that needed to be done in order to make it look like he was good with God. But the fact of the matter is, is that there was something going on inside of him that was troubling him, oftentimes like a lot of Christians that I know. And so Mark chapter 10, verse 17, let me go ahead and read that first verse of this to you. You guys can read along with me. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to stop right there for a second. Here's why. How many times have you actually been run up to in your life? That's not exactly an everyday kind of occurrence, is it? I've thought about this. There are three reasons that I know of why people have run up to me over the course of my life. The number one reason is this is because they're happy to see me. That's my favorite reason, too. I don't know if... Hi. It's a miracle. I really like that, though. But 
The, the number one reason that I like when people run up to me is because they've missed me. I don't know about you guys, but I have kids that, that when they haven't seen me in a while, I missed you too, man. It has been a long week. We've both been sick all week long, so we haven't got to see each other. We kind of have a bromance going on. That's number one reason somebody's missed you, so they run up to you. Have you guys ever seen the military return videos when someone comes home? Yes, I know. Oh, I love those things. They always make me cry, and, and, and it always is one of those things that just deeply impacts me. I think that's a great reason why somebody should run up to another person. Second reason is they want to fight. I remember I was in eighth grade. Lunch bell had just rung. And everybody's moving out of the, you know, the outside area into the school. There's this kid. And he wasn't very far away from me. And it all happened so fast. But he started running at me. He had this look on his face like he was angry. And he had his fists all clenched. And so I did the only thing that you're supposed to do when somebody runs up to you like that. You dodge and you hit him as hard as you can in the face. And <laughs> all of a sudden, two hands came down on my shoulders, and it was the vice principal of the school. He literally had seen the whole thing and didn't blame me for defending myself. Turns out the kid was just kidding. <laughs> we became good friends after that, though. So That's the second reason. The third reason why people have run up to me is because they're afraid. I have literally lost count on the times when I've walked into a hospital room or into someone's home and someone gets up and they run to me because they're afraid. They don't know what's going to happen next. Or maybe someone has just died and now they don't know what life is going to be like. That's the reason why this guy is running to Jesus. He's afraid. And if you've already paid attention, you know that the reason why he's afraid. He's afraid what's going to happen to him when he dies. Now, I don't need to see you show of hands. But have you ever been afraid of what's going to happen to you when you die? You know, this whole heaven and hell thing. I remember as a kid growing up, I remember believing that if for some reason I had freakishly died in the day and I hadn't had first confessed all of the sins that I had committed that day and asked for forgiveness in Jesus' name, that I would die and go to hell. That was the kind of pressure that I grew up with. And I know that for some people, you may look at that and think, oh, or hear that and think, wow, that's sad. Maybe some of you grew up with that same kind of a pressure. Maybe some of you kind of scoff at that. You think, man, I don't even believe in hell. I know that there are many people who don't. If you don't believe in hell, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But if Jesus is who he says he is, and he chose to teach people and speak about the existence of hell, then I'm going to believe that there's a hell. I know that there are some people that I've also come across, though, that it's not so much that they don't believe in hell, it's just they feel like, you know, they're a good person. You know, they're good. You know, they've, they've done good things. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're listening here or you're online and you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty decent person, you know. I have never murdered anybody. I haven't killed anybody, and, uh, well, you know, I'm pretty faithful to my friends and my family, and, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good person. 
Well, this fella that I'm reading about, this guy that runs up to Jesus, if there was ever anybody who would feel this way, that I'm a good person, I should be okay, it would be him, and here's why. Number one reason, he's a Jew. I mean, he's already a part of God's chosen people. On top of that, the guy has already seemingly, as you're going to see, figured out what all of the necessary commands are. And he's doing them. You know, the standard of which good has been defined by in terms of the Bible, the Old Testament, particularly all of the Ten Commandments, this guy has these things down. So if there's any person who would ever feel like they are good enough to make it in, it should have been him. But he's not. He runs up to Jesus. So let me read that verse again. I'm going to read the rest of it. You can follow along if you'd like. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And there goes Jesus again, getting right to the heart of the issue. Friends, if you're listening to me, Please understand that Christianity is not about us living up to the latest definition of what is good. It's not. It's about surrender of your life and everything in it over to Jesus and then letting him have control over it. That's exactly what God has asked this man to do and it's what he's asked every single person here to do. And so I want to ask you a question that I've been asking myself all week long. What is it? What's the stuff that is getting in the way of you surrendering your life over to God? Is there something in the way? Do you feel it? You know, Kurt mentioned earlier about the prayer requests that we get every week. By the time I get done reading your prayer requests, by the time I get done looking at our world around us, it makes me believe that sometimes we as believers, we as self-proclaimed Christ followers, still struggle with surrender, still struggle with this whole thing of getting rid of the stuff that's in the way of having a really serious relationship with God. Maybe you fear, some of you still maybe fear about what will happen to you when you die. Not a pleasant thing to think about. Either way, Today I want to tell you about two things that I think that this rich man did right. Number one, he ran to God. Number two, he actually did listen. Those are very important things. So many of us run from God. We don't even realize it sometimes. I know that I have, for many times in the course of my life, I have ran from God. It was out of anger mostly. I was angry with him and I figured... Really, he didn't want anything to do with me because I didn't want anything to do with him. And so I ran from God. And I know that there are probably many of you. I know many of you. And that is a part of your story as well. For some, though, 
It's not so much anger that is causing you to run from God. For a lot of people, what I believe it is is just honestly, it's indifference. You see, the, the history of the Bible, as well as the history of humanity that I've known, and I've only been around for 44 years, is that we are the kind of people who genuinely are good people, but we kind of like to do things our way. And when it comes to God, typically the MO or the modus operandi on this is that we will reach out to God when we are desperate for need of rescue. But all the rest of the time, we're pretty much on autopilot doing our own thing. And so our running from God is really the indifference. We just don't need him except for in crisis. And all the rest of the time, we try to just go our own way on it. You know, one of the most prophetic passages in all the Bible, one that I love deeply, is in the book of Isaiah, written by a guy who had a very serious relationship with God. What God did is he said to this man, Isaiah, I want you to write some stuff down. And this is 700 plus years before Jesus was ever born. But what he wanted him to write down were some things about Jesus, some things about the Messiah, some reasons as to why he had to actually go through the process of being brutally beaten and then eventually killed. But for why, the reasons behind why he had to do this, Isaiah starts to spell some of these things out, and it's in the most, what I believe, one of the most prophetic passages of all the Bible. It's in Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm going to read a portion of this to you. I want you to just listen, if you can. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 6, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness. He carried it. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That last part there. Did you know that choosing your own path other than God's is one of the sins that he had to die for? And that is something that, unfortunately, is fostered by our American dream, isn't it? Choose your own way. Make your own way. Make a name for yourself. We choose our own path. What path are you on? What path? Is it God's? Is it yours? Do you really feel that you are on the right path? Or are you guilty? So many of us who would say, I really want God. I, I really want to have a serious relationship with God. Let me ask you to think on that question again. How serious am I about my relationship with God? Many people I know 
talk to me and they, they've struggled with hearing God. They struggle with whether or not God speaks to them. They're not afraid of praying so much. Talking to God is something that I found that a lot of people find somewhat easy to do. After all, it's right, it's just speaking to him, right? It's just talking to him. It's just sitting down and maybe having a conversation, or maybe it's standing up and having it. You don't even have to close your eyes. It's just talking to God, right? Isn't that what prayer is? But then they were asking me the questions, well, how, why is it that I don't ever seem to hear anything from him? And I asked them, well, do you really want to hear from God? Do you really want to hear from God? Yeah, I want to hear from God. So I ask him a question with a story. So let me tell you a story. Let's say there's a dad. This dad is getting ready for work in the morning and he's on his cell phone. He's talking to his boss. And so he's busy going around and he's doing all of his stuff and he's trying to gather his, you know, his briefcase and some of the other stuff that he needs to get ready for work. And so he's busy. And while he's busy doing all this stuff and trying to figure out how to get to work, his young daughter walks up to him and gives him a love note. So he, he, he takes it, and he's, he's still on the phone, and he's trying to get through everything, and so he puts the, the note inside of his pocket, and he keeps going, and he's, he's busy, and then it's time to go, and so he's off and into his rig, and out the door he goes, and off his girl goes to school. All day long, she's excited. Ah, thinking about, I wonder if he's opened it yet. I wonder if he's read it. He's probably read it a couple of times. Shared it with his friends, maybe put it up on his cubicle wall, if he's got a cubicle wall. Enjoyed it many, many times throughout that day, so she's thinking. Well, the day goes by, and she gets home, but, you know, dad's at work still. And so she's waiting and waiting and waiting, and then finally she hears his rig. The garage door opens up, and she's all excited about, you know, whether or not he's seen this and what his reaction is. Gets inside the house, but he's on his phone again. And he's talking, he's talking, and so she's there, and she's waiting, and he's going through and everything. And as he's saying his goodbyes, he gets off the phone, and he looks at her, and the look says it all. He, not, he didn't just not read it. He completely forgot about this love note. Now, how do you feel if you're that little girl? How do you feel if you're that dad? I mean, it's not like he's a bad dad. He just got super distracted with a bunch of stuff that got in the way, right? How do you think God feels when, especially the people who call himself by his name, don't read the love note that he gave to them called the Bible? You know that the national statistics on the amount of time that Christians spend in the Bible is sad? If I'm to believe it, most of you who are in this room don't take any time throughout the course of a normal week to spend more than about five minutes in the Bible. I'm sorry, but that's sad. And I wonder sometimes whether or not God feels a certain sense of pain. It's, it's run through my head many times as if, I wonder if God thinks, you know, you say that you want to hear from me, but you haven't taken the time to listen to what I've already said. You see, Christians, 
I don't suppose that listening to God or hearing from God is really as hard as what we make it out to be. God isn't hiding from us. It's not like we have to run to go and try to figure out where he's at. When we want him, he's right there. Always has been. But because we're rebels, because we are the kind of people who like to choose our own way, man, does it get hard to have a serious relationship with God. In fact, that's what Jesus said to his disciples. After this rich man had somewhat tucked his chin down onto his chest and walked away with his tail between his legs, feeling dejected, the rest of the disciples stood there looking at the situation, and Jesus turned to them, and he said, It is very hard to enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a rich man, excuse me, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And when these disciples heard this, they were aghast. They, they literally were like, then who can get in? Who can get in? It can be very depressing, can't it? When you stop long enough to look and examine your own relationship with God, and you see what it is that sometimes you aren't putting into it, it can make you feel as if the relationship is completely non-existent. And it can even make you feel like maybe, just maybe, if I were to die, would I go to heaven? Folks, I want to share with you one more thing about what Jesus said to them. And this is perhaps one of the most important parts of the entire sermon. What Jesus said to these guys next was this. Humanly speaking, it is impossible for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. But with God, it's possible. Everything with God is possible. Everything. There is absolutely nothing that is impossible with God. Do you believe that it is possible for God to do something impossible in you? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that it is possible? See, we're going to be celebrating Easter here in a couple of weeks. Easter is when we celebrate Jesus doing the impossible. Easter is when we celebrate that situation that all Christians truly should celebrate, which is Jesus raising from the dead. You see, in that Isaiah 53 passage, that prophetic passage that I read earlier, it talks about something beautiful in there, the why Jesus had to die and then what was accomplished. I'm going to finish reading the rest of that that chapter, actually, verses 7, and all the way finished with, uh, and all the way through the end of the finish with it. Let me read this to you. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. 
He had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Here's my challenge. I want to ask everybody here today to surrender something of their stuff over to God. What I'm going to guide you guys through right now is what I call directed prayer. And so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads, and I'm asking you to do this for this reason. Even if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, I'm going to ask you to do this out of privacy, out of respect as an adult for other adults. I'm going to ask you guys to go through a little bit of an awkward moment here where you're not going to hear me and you're not going to hear anybody else. I'm going to give you a chance to literally pray. And the first thing I'm going to ask you to pray for right now is this. What's the stuff? What is it? What is it that's getting in the way of you having a serious relationship with God? I want you to take just a few seconds here and be praying about that, first thing. As I said earlier, Jesus always goes right to the heart of the issue. If you're sitting here right now, I'm asking again every single person with their eyes closed. If in that time of prayer, in that short little amount of prayer that you know that God has said something to you, that God has spoken something to you, you've felt it, you know it, that thought immediately entered into your head and you know that there's stuff that's in the way. If you've heard that, I don't want anybody with their eyes open or looking around checking out anybody. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to stand or anything. I'm just going to ask you to slightly put your hand into the air and then to put it right back down. No one else is going to be watching you except for God. That simple little act, that moment there of moving that arm is a big deal. It's a movement. It's like running to God. It's being serious about it. Like this man who ran to Jesus because he was afraid. He didn't care who saw him. He didn't care who heard him. He just knew that there was business that needed to be dealt with. And there is business that needs to be dealt with today. What's your stuff? The second thing I'm going to ask you to do is to simply say to God, God, how? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to get rid of this? What do you want me to, how do you want me to come around this? Just pray that. Take a few seconds, a minute, praying about that.
I believe that there are some who are here who are thinking, I need to surrender. I need to give in. I'm tired of running. Oh, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of this game. I'm tired of fighting. If that's you, I'm going to give you a simple prayer to model. You can use these words. You can change them if you want. But this is for those of you who are either listening online or you're here today and you're thinking, you know, I'm just, I'm ready to run to God. Here's some words for you. Father, God, I give up give you my life. I give you my sin. I surrender it over to you. <sighs> Whatever it is that you want from me, you got to take me. I pray that you would change me. I pray that you would forgive me. I pray that you would, you would do whatever it is that you do that makes people better and gives them an, a, a power to be able to stop doing stupid stuff and doing the right stuff and have wisdom and have ability. I want that. Would you please give me that? I surrender my life over to you. I don't know what all that means. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm done. Will you, will you just take it? If that's you, if you're making those words a part of your heart right now, maybe you're even feeling what it's like to have the Holy Spirit dumped into you to mark you and to seal you, to identify you as God's own. And that feeling that you're feeling right now is God's way of saying, I love you. Thank you. Thank you for choosing me. For those of you who are Christians, we all have our stuff. I've got stuff. I've got so much stuff. God, I'm sorry for this stupid stuff. Oh, I am blown away by your grace and I am blown away by your mercy. But Lord, I am equally blown away by my stupidity. My stupidity. Lord, I hate hurting you. I hate it. I want help. I feel dumb sometimes coming back to you and asking for the same thing to be forgiven for over again. I'm so grateful that you take that sin, you wipe it away, you forget about it, and it's like a brand new again. Spotless, blameless, holy. I know I can climb into your lap and not worry about your judgment. I know that you love me and care for me, but Lord, please, with the power of your Holy Spirit, would you empower me and the other believers who are in this room to live for you, to follow you, to not just be the kind of people who run to you, not just be the kind of people who listen to you, but then obey you and follow you. Fill us with your love. Fill us with the love for you. Fill us with love for others. Even fill us with love for the mean cusses that we work with or go to school with or we meet at the store, at the bank or any place. Fill us with love for these people, Lord. I pray that you would radically change this. If you don't, Lord, we're not going to change. We're going to continue to be stupid people who get caught up in our own stuff and just hurt people. We won't testify about you. We won't witness about you. In fact, if anything, we will damage your name and your reputation. And Lord, that is not for me. That is not what I want. So Lord, 
in front of you, in front of all, I surrender. I give up my life to you again. And I ask for you to do something inside of me that's awesome. That's awesome. I pray this in Jesus' name. <sighs> Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing that song, I Surrender. This prayer is not over. Make this song your prayer. Yes, we're going to take an offering during the middle of this. And if this is your church home and this is the place that you love and you think that it's a valuable thing for you, then I ask for you to support it. I ask for you to continue to support it. If you're a guest or a visitor with us, you being here is an honor. And we love the fact that you have chosen today to be here. But I'm asking, make this song your prayer. And then afterwards, I'll come back up. I know that some of you might feel like you got a little sucker punched here today. I'm not even going to apologize. I got sucker punched by God this week, and so it's your turn. That's the way I look at it. But here's the deal. Believers, people who want to explore, God loves us so much, and he has made it very public about what his, his love is for us and what that looks like and what that that looked like on a cross. Two weeks from now is Easter. I promise you, you don't want to miss it. But on that day, you're going to be asked. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but you're going to be asked to do something very public. And I want you to leave here today and be thinking about that. I want you to leave here today and be thinking about what does it mean when God shows up in the middle of your, your life, whether you're a preacher or a pastor or a Christian or not, and says, hey, I want a closer and I want a more serious relationship with you than what you're giving me right now. What do you do to that? Well, (laughs) hopefully you run to God, hopefully you listen to God, and hopefully you follow God. I want to give you a chance to be able to start on that today. If you've made that prayer your own as you're walking out today, go by one of the tables, pick up this new believer packet, open it up read through the stuff that's inside of there then come talk to me or one of the other pastors next week or whenever you can today maybe you would like to take communion just to kind of maybe reconfirm again that you are for God and that you have a serious relationship with him and you'd like it to continue to be take communion on your way out or maybe you'd like to come up and you'd like to pray with one of the pastors or one of the people who are part of the prayer team instead of making your way out make your way forward we would be happy to pray with you guys but please take your relationship with God very seriously especially over this next two weeks God bless you guys I pray that you guys truly are people who are serious about God hope to see you guys next week